each of you gathered here this morning in the name of Christ. Certainly a blessing to know him and to serve him and to have his presence with us again this morning. For a message, you may turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. We're going to begin with this scripture. Notice the setting of it here or the thought that is given. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16. Paul here is writing to Timothy and he says, And without controversy, or we could say without question. Sometimes we say this is true, this is without question. That's the term that Paul is using here. He says, without controversy or without question, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's, you could say, the whole plan of salvation in one short statement. It's the plan of salvation, as we say sometimes, in a nutshell. It's just contained right there. The mystery of godliness. But I'd like to think especially of the term or the phrase here where he says, God was manifest in the flesh. You think about, you know, in this time of year where there's a lot of talk about Christmas and what, but we could ask the question, what does the birth of Christ really mean? I'm not necessarily planning to preach a Christmas message as such this morning, but I would like to think again this morning from this passage and other scriptures, think about the, um, the whole idea of the incarnation. I'm not sure if we're allowed to have favorite Bible doctrines or not, but if we, if, if we would have favorite doctrines, I guess this would probably be my favorite doctrine. The doctrine of the incarnation. Am I, can I explain it? No. Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. Christ was manifest in the flesh. I can't explain it. The Bible gives us different pictures, try to help us understand it. But I'd like again this morning just to look at the scriptures and try to, just for our inspiration, even though you could say it's a little bit more of a doctrinal message, I want it to be inspirational. To think about the, the true meaning of Christmas, and really it's the foundational truth as we're going to notice now, I'd like to uh, introduce this um, message uh, with a song. Ask Brother James to lead it. Um, in the front of your songbook, I put a, some sheet music there. It's called The Wonder of Wonders. And this song, in poetic form tries to capture some of the, um, we could say, the, the different aspects of the Incarnation. And it, it, it visualizes for us a little bit what could have been going through the mind of, of Mary and holding this little babe in her arms, this little boy, 
who she knew because she was told would be the Son of God. Anyway, I'd like to, uh, we're just going to sing this song together and then uh, proceed further with the message. James, you can come up here if you want. The wonder of wonders as she looked on his face That this little boy spoke the words in their place The stars and the moon shining brightly on them and the sun were created by him. The wonder of wonders, oh how could it be that God became flesh and was given for me. The Almighty came down and took among men and died on the cross for every man's sin. The wonder of wonders as she heard his small cry that this voice had thundered on Mount Sinai, the hand that she held so tenderly had made a dry path through the mighty Red Sea. The wonder of wonder, oh, how could it be? That God became flesh and was given for me. The Almighty came down and walked among men and died on the cross for every man's sin. Let's repitch a little bit. Third verse. The wonder of wonder as she looked down and smiled that he was her maker as well as her child. He created a womb that had given God in incarnate, come down to the earth. The wonder of wonders, oh how could it be that God became flesh and was given for me? The Almighty came down and walked among men and died on the cross for every 
sin. The wonder of wonders, as the Father looked on in eternity's past, this was his Son, had sent him to die on Calvary's tree, and that is the wonder of wonders to me. The just end with that. Thank you. Thank you for that. The wonder of wonders. Oh, how could it be that Christ became flesh? And I think, you know, we think about the mystery of God in us as Paul here was writing to Timothy that God was manifest in the flesh. And again, this morning, there's so many things about this we did not understand. And one of the things that we can look forward to in eternity future is to be able to look back on this and to see the overall plan of salvation and all the intention of God and how it all fits together in the perfect plan of salvation. So while many people that, you know, you could say, in quote, celebrate this time of year, but many of them do not believe or understand the incarnation of Christ, which is the whole meaning of the coming of Christ. This is all about the very person of Christ, that he is both man and God. Upon this doctrine, we could say, rests all the other Christian doctrine regarding the person of Christ and salvation of mankind without having the understanding the, the doctrine of the incarnation or having that by, accept that by faith. Well, then the whole person and work of Christ is in jeopardy. And what is the meaning of his death and suffering and his resurrection if he is not, was not who he said he he was or he is? And so um, many people do not have a problem believing that he was a good man, he was a good prophet, he was a good teacher. But um, many stumble today with the fact that he was divine and also the God, as you say, the God-man. Now, there have been many false teachings surrounding the teaching of the Incarnation. We're not going to go into these at all in depth. I'd just like to point out a few of them, just for our awareness. Um, Just possibly, I'll just refer to three of them. One of the false doctrines in in the early years of the church was that Jesus only appeared to be human, and that um, what you seen of him as what they saw of him as a human being was only what they could see with their natural eye, um, but that he wasn't human. Um, they they did not believe that that uh, Christ was um, able to take on human human flesh, 
and blood like, like we would have, but it only appeared that way. That is um, the uh, false doctrine of the heresy of asceticism, and, uh, and, and uh, that is uh, closely related also to the heresy of Gnosticism, which we'll look at it also in a moment, in a few minutes, um, in relation to the New Testament time. The uh, second one was that Jesus was subordinate to his Father in power and glory. In other words, he was not equal with God, um, but he, um, so therefore they strayed on the side of his humanity, where the first one I referred to, Docetism, that was straying on the side of his divinity. And so they believed that, um, that was the Arianism, believed that God, Jesus was not equal with God, and he wasn't really, really divine as we would understand God the Father. The third one is um, Nestorianism, and they believe that um, the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ were completely different from each other, and uh, there was no reconciling that in the person of Christ. Um, again, we don't understand all of that. It's part of the mystery of it. But um, the Bible makes it pretty clear that um, Christ was that perfect sacrifice for us, and so there had to be a perfect blending of his humanity and his divinity in order to, uh, to be the person that he, he said he was. Now, and of course there's many other variations as well as, you know, many people today just have plain unbelief. They just don't believe, don't try to go into any detail or even try to explain it. They just say, it's not true or I don't believe it. Now, but a believing faith in the incarnation is so important to our faith and our salvation. Just turn with me, First uh, John 1, we're going to be looking at a few different verses this morning from the scriptures just to show some of these truths. A believing faith in the incarnation is so important to our faith and salvation. Now, I'd like to just point out 1 John 1, verse 1 first. And the Apostle John was writing to uh, partly to refute the teachings of Gnosticism, which again, they were close to the um, Ducetism, which did not believe that Christ, what you saw of him in, in his humanity was actually real. And so listen to what John says here. 1 John 1, 1, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. I find that interesting. He's saying that this one who is from the beginning, we heard him, we've seen him, we've looked at him, and our hands have touched him. Really what he's saying is, he was a real human. It wasn't just a mirage. It wasn't just a, a phantom of a human being. He was real. You think about that as it ties into the whole thought of the work of Christ. So the blood dripping from the cross, the wound in his side, was that real? You see, or was it just a phantom? a fantasy of, of their mind as they saw it. You see, that's where you think about this. It's foundational to understand how it works. You can't always explain all the details of it. We probably shouldn't try to get too deep into it. They're like the teaching of the Trinity, or like some of us brother were talking the other week about you know the sovereignty of God versus the free, free will of man. You get into that, and it's like, 
And you find it, you just believe it. God understands it, and he doesn't give us the intellectual capacity to understand what seems to be a contradiction. But So Jesus, as we say sometimes, and this is a contradiction too, he was 100% God and 100% man. But 100% and 100% doesn't add up to 100%. So, But you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's part of the mystery of godliness. Now, the fact that this is important for believing faith, and the scriptures would make this clear in a lot of different places. But 1 John 4, 1 to 3 there is, is probably one of the most clear scriptures. Let's just go to that. 1 John um, First John three, uh, oh, sorry, First John four one to three. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. In other words, test them, check them out, test them, test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So, looking at that, he makes it very clear the importance of believing in the Incarnation. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. God became flesh. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Recently I read that there's as much as, as many as over 50% of Christian pastors that do not believe in the literal incarnation, the virgin birth. How can you believe that, something like that, under the name of Christian, you see, it's, it's a fallacy, it's heresy, it's wrong. And so the virgin birth, the incarnation is a very important part of the whole premise of Christianity. And also Hebrews two fourteen to 18, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, now that's us, the children of God, we're partakers of flesh and blood, that's what we're made of, he also himself, which is Christ, Likewise, took part of the same, same kind of flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So it was important that he took on flesh and blood like you and I have, that through that flesh and blood dying, he'd be able to destroy the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. This is a deliberate choice. He didn't come with the nature of an angel. But he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him, or he was compelled, constrained. He behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. In other words, like us that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God 
to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. That's just beautiful. In explaining the incarnation of Christ, to redeem us, he came down, you could say, and joined us. Not in our sin, but he joined us in our, our flesh and blood and suffered all the things that humanity suffered in the flesh. Pain, suffering, uh, hunger, sleeplessness, all those things. He, he, he walked the same roads, he trod the same earth that we trod today to identify with us so that we, we could have that, not only the reconciliation from sin, but that we could have someone who is at the right hand of the Father today as that merciful and faithful high priest who can look into his Father's face and say, I understand. I was there. I know how they feel. I know their pain. I know their sorrow. I was there. That's why the shortest verse of the Bible is so significant when it says Jesus wept. He entered in to the situation of human suffering and identified with us. He didn't come and identify with the rich. He did not come and identify with the elitist. He did not identify with even the religious structure of his day. But he came and was born in Nazareth. He identified with the lowliest. And you can just imagine almost the disdain in Nathaniel's voice. You know, when he said, when he was told, come see, we have found the Messiah, come see him. He said he's from Nazareth. What did Nathaniel say? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was a wicked little town that in many Jewish minds was good for nothing. That's where he came. That's where he grew up. He identified with the lowliest. And, you know, and, and that's where the Pharisees just were beside themselves at times when he said, well, you know, he's, he's um, spending time and visiting and going, um, you know, with, the, you could say, the scum of the day. The harlots and the sinners and, the, you know, the poor people and, you know, the, the, the worst of society. That's who he's spending his time with. There was a reason. God entered into human the human will or the human world, the human situation, the human suffering, the human struggles, so that he could lift us out of that, so that he could provide us with that eternal salvation. Well, there are prophecies that foretold the incarnation. We're familiar with these. The promise of the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, right back at the fall of man, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. 
It is interesting, and that's a study in itself. I will not go into that this morning. You know, you know, study something out in the scriptures, study the whole concept of the seed of the woman. That's there's a whole aspect of the incarnation that is wrapped up in that. Isaiah seven fourteen talks about the virgin birth. A, a virgin is going to be with child. Luke one and verse thirty five, his conception was a miracle. No earthly father involved. A human father and a human mother would have meant that Christ would have been 100% human like you and I. The Bible says very clearly he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. His name was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now the whole, the whole idea of God dwelling with man, coming down from heaven, you can understand why, in a sense, some people have struggled with that over the years. You know, if God is so great and high and holy, how could God come down in human flesh? It's part of the mystery. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Again, very simple reference to the Incarnation. It wasn't simply that a child was born or a son was born, like to you and I as parents, human parents today. But the Old Testament prophet there said, a child is born, a son is given. The Son of God, again, the God, man, and the person of Christ. Micah 5 and verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. Again referring to the eternity of Christ and his divine person entering into the world and coming forth. Now why the incarnation? I referred to this a little bit earlier. But a human earthly father would have passed on the fallen nature. So he did not have the fallen nature like you and I have because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And uh, not the seed of man, but as we, I referred earlier to the seed of the woman, which is an actual unusual term used in, in Hebrew writings and Hebrew thought. Christ chose this method to enter the human realm as a perfect man, so he could save man. Hebrews 2 and also verse 14, he needed to come, as it were, into the human scene and battle the devil as Adam did and failed. But now the second Adam, Christ himself, would win in that battle against sin and temptation and thereby win the battle against the devil's hold on all of mankind which is significant when you go back to the first chapter of Revelation, and Christ there says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and of death. And so Christ was victorious in that. Now, I'd like to think for a little bit about some of the mysteries of the Incarnation. We referred to some of these already. But I'd like to just go to, to John John chapter 1, 
and, and read a few verses here. They're familiar verses, but now think of these verses in light of the mystery of the Incarnation. Gospel of John, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. That Word is Christ Himself. So in the beginning was Christ, or the beginning was Jesus. And the Word, the living Word, Christ, was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The beginning of what? The beginning of of God's revelation to us as He introduced Himself in Genesis 1.1. Not the beginning of God, because He had no beginning. He was eternal. But the beginning of His revelation to mankind in the creation. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. You know, the song we just sang referred to some of the aspects of creation that Mary maybe could have thought about as she held this baby. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In other words, the darkness was not able to overcome the light that came with Christ. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. This is the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we have Christ coming, the word, the living word, Christ himself was made flesh, He dwelt among us, and by that we were able to see, as we read the stories of the Gospels, for the disciples there on the scene of his earthly ministry, they could see the, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And so Jesus came to reveal the glory of his Father. The, uh, <clears throat> also in Hebrews 1 and verse 6, there it says, And again, When he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. I think that is significant. You think about the, the fact that God the Father, at the birth of Christ, reminded the angels to worship him. Why would have that happened? I'm not sure. Possibly because they knew who he was in eternity past as God himself, with God, part of the triune Godhead. And now, the one whom they worship was in human form. And so, it's to me, it makes sense that God would say to the angels, he's still God, even though he's a human now, that all the angels of God worship him. They were reminded that this baby in the manger was also deity. It was the same one that they had worshipped in the halls of eternity past. Also, there in verse 5 of Hebrews 1, uh, where it says there, This day have I begotten thee. It seems that there a change in relationship for the Trinity. Now forever, as it were, a son. 
There's also the mystery of human relationships. The infant in the manger is also the ancient of days. The God of eternity has come into time. He who was timeless in the eternal realm is now subject to time. I find that interesting. He voluntarily did that. The Lord of the universe has come to Bethlehem. He whose train filled the temple, as we can read about there in the book of Isaiah, in that vision, now is wrapped in swaddling clothes. Think of that mystery. The eternal one is born of a woman. It's a human baby. He who upholds the worlds in his hand is now upheld in Mary's arms. Worlds are dependent upon him. Now he is dependent upon a Hebrew maid and the Galilean carpenter. It's interesting, and try to unravel, as it were, a little bit of this mystery. He was so human in his growing up years, in his family, that his own brothers and sisters didn't think he was special. From what we understand, parted from the scriptures, also Jewish history, he had five brothers and two sisters. I guess we say half-brothers, half-sisters. But they grew up with him, and they didn't really believe in him. The Bible says they didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. One time they said when he started his preaching ministry, and they, they went after him, and they tried to get him back home again, they said, you're mad. You're going crazy. That's how human he, he was, as it were, and who he was. Then we have those glimpses of his divinity. And if you that's an interesting study in the scriptures too, to go through the whole ministry, the life of Christ, and pull out those those uh, you could say streams of light or, or snapshots of of his glory. You just take the I mean the easy one is the sermon or the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. You know, Peter, James, and John went up there and you know, and here comes out of the clouds comes Moses and Elijah, and, and sat down there and was talking with him. You know, and how his face just, he was glowed with a heavenly light. It just, he was transfigured in front of them, it says. His raiment, everything, everything it's just like, and it's just a, a glimpse of, of how his divinity was shining, overshadowing his humanity at that point. And, um, the overwhelming truth of that. Jesus told them not to say anything. Peter talks about that in his epistle. He said, we were with him in the Holy Mount, and we saw that. I don't think their lives were ever the same after that. They recognized Moses and Elijah. They were sitting there discussing. The disciples could see some of that, except their eyes were kind of blinded, but they saw some of that. And they heard them discussing Christ's death, his coming, his coming death at Calvary. Fascinating conversation. I would love to know what all was said. But that just gives you a picture. You have Jesus there at the tomb of Lazarus. 
where you see so much of his humanity and his empathy and sorrow with his close friends, where he wept with them. But then he went to the tomb and called Lazarus out. One writer said, it's not so much a marvel that he called Lazarus out of the tomb, but maybe the bigger marvel is that when Christ got close to the tomb, Lazarus didn't just come walking out on his own just because of the sheer fact that he was in the presence of eternal life. Just part of this whole trying to understand Christ, who he is. You think about also this whole aspect of the incarnation and what it means for us. Now, last part of this message, I'd like to think a little bit. How do we know God loves us? How do you know that someone loves you? really comes down to their sacrifice and unselfish giving of themselves to us, to you. How do we know that God loves us, God loves the human race? When you think about the incarnation, you think about all that is wrapped up in the whole plan and purpose of God in redeeming man, all that was involved that's how we know he loved us. As Paul says there in Romans, you know, when we were unlovely, you know, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, like in Ephesians 2, all those things help us understand the depth of God's love and how God is just reaching out to mankind and, in, and wanting them to accept this sacrifice. The preciousness of, of Jesus, of Christ, coming to give his life and all that he did so that we can be redeemed. The incarnation means that Jesus is who he claimed to be. I don't know if you ever read the book. I think Lee Strobel wrote it, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He talks a lot in there about the person of Christ. That if you look at the historical facts, you look at all the aspects beside the prophecies and and what Jesus said about himself, it shows that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And why he remains to this day a person who, whose claim all men must either accept or reject. And it's evidence in a lot of different ways. Maybe we don't see it as much here, but I, I think about it, and I hope you don't get tired of me talking about Bangladesh and some of the things that happen over there. But individuals who in their in the emptiness of their religion, in the emptiness of their hearts, know somehow there's something else. There has to be something else to this life. There has to be something else to hold on to and to believe in. And sometimes it's just a, a prayer in the darkness of night, where a prayer is, is, is uttered to God, you know, if you exist or if, if you're there, please show yourself to me. And then, 
at times, whether it's someone, a perfect stranger, handing them a gospel, maybe just a part of the gospel of John or one of the gospels. Sometimes it's only a few pages. Or sometimes it's a vision in the night where a man in shining white comes and tells them something of how to find their way, where to go, who to contact. Or sometimes it's to wait until someone is going to come and tell you. But to me, it's just you know, a picture again of, of, of God and Christ and his work for mankind, his love for man to reaching out that people can be saved and find the truth, find the light. There is no middle ground with Christ. Either he is who he claimed to be, along with the many illustrations of his divinity, or we could say he was the greatest imposter of all times. It is also the foundation of our, our, of our salvation. I'd just like you to, I'd like to read some verses from Colossians 1 in relation to this. Um, Colossians 1 and verse 12. I think about this in relation to the incarnation now and, and who Christ is. It says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, Paul's prayer was, in thanking the Father, that he made it possible that you and I could be partakers of the inheritance of the saints, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. Notice that's almost tacked on the end, but it's one of the most important things for us. But it's said in contrast to the fact that we have redemption through his blood and God is able to even forgive us. And that's a miracle. And it comes back to the miracle of the incarnation. You know, God, Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who, speaking of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. You know the scripture, Thomas said, show us the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The image of the invisible God. Christ came down as the God-man to earth to show us the image of his heavenly Father. So whether it was his mercy his forgiveness, sometimes his almost harsh words to those who were deceiving themselves in, in, in a spiritual Phariseeism or whatever it was. He was speaking in the name of God. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He came down to visit his creation. It was created by him and for him. He chose to do it. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. 
just read this week that the earth rotation is sped up just a, a, a tiny bit. I guess it does, it does change a little bit. They are trying to figure out why. Rotation sped up a little bit. What keeps it from speeding up a lot? Or slowing down a lot? Perfect balance. By him all things consist. Just one illustration. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, now, now listen to this. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things by him, unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth or things under the earth. I was going to leave that. But you think about that in relation to who Christ is, that God, the Father, wanted Christ to represent himself to mankind. There's a song we refer to at different times. I love the words of this song. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. You think about the plan of salvation, the coming of Christ, the mystery of the incarnation, all wrapped up in our salvation. We have a great high priest who can identify with us at all times in our lives, one of the tremendous blessings, one who understands. We can say we have a man, one of our humankind, as it were. Yes, in his glorified body, but in heaven at the right hand of God Almighty. You have the pictures in Revelation there. You know, the lamb as it had been slain. And the, the marks of that he carries. We worship as did those few privileged at his birth. We cannot comprehend this mystery this morning, but we can rejoice in it. We can worship because of it and allow God to continue to meet our needs as Christ desires to do that. Philippians 2, 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He left what was his possession in being equal with God to make himself of no reputation and to become take on the likeness of men. Back to where we started. Without question, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. As we think about birth of Christ again. Let's just not forget this foundational teaching, this foundational meaning. What would we be this morning if God was had not been manifest in the flesh for us? Let's rejoice in that. Let's kneel to pray.
Father, we thank you for your wondrous wisdom. We thank you for your wondrous plan. Even before we were born, you still knew us. You saw us. You saw our time span in this world. And you loved us when we returned no love to you. When we were in trespasses and in sin, you still loved us. Enough that Christ was sent to come. And that he volunteered to come. That he took it upon himself to come. And all the humiliation giving up that place to redeem us, to forever be our elder brother, our high priest, our friend. And Father, we just want to worship. We want to praise your name again this morning. There are so many things about this we do not understand. We accept it by faith. And Father, we thank you for the peace the joy you give within our hearts. Even though there's not peace in the world around us, but we can have peace because of our relationship with you, have our sins forgiven. Father, we just pray that that would be the testimony of each of us as we look forward to the coming of Christ when he comes again, not as a baby in the manger, but as a conquering Lord to claim his bride, his church. May we each be ready. We ask the name of Christ. Amen.